Oh, John, I see John on my screen now. John Pollock, are you there? I am here. There he Excellent. is. Excellent. Thank you for joining us, John. I was just telling uh, Ben how to put his cigarette out and uh, tuck his shirt in because <laughs> the post boss is here, you know, best behavior and everything, Benno. John, thank you oh, so yeah. much. I know you're a, you're a very, very busy man, so thanks for uh, taking the time to join us today. Well, Martin Benno, with a tear in my eye, this is the greatest <laughs> moment of my career. <laughs> wow. I don't believe you, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say we can end the stream there. We're done. There you go. We can end it. How are, how are you guys holding up? How are we doing at uh, uh, 8 o'clock your time, if my time zones are correct? Mm-hmm. You, you nailed it, yeah. Eight hours in. Uh, I'm, wow. I'm feeling okay still, flagging a little bit, but uh, how about you, Martin? Oh, I'm, um, I don't know. I thought when we first brought Andrew on, I was feeling a bit delirious. You know, like when you're drunk, you feel drunk, but you've not been <laughs> drinking. But now I think Andrew's yeah. energy in that last uh, part has, you know, given me a, um, an injection of uh, a bit of a boost. Um, but for me, I don't know about you, Ben, and obviously, mm-hmm. sorry, John, um, it feels like um, it's gone pretty quickly, actually. Yeah, I think it has. Having like the, the variety of guests and such has, has helped it as well. Um, you said there we felt delirious without drinking. Maybe we should start drinking. Maybe that's going to be the solution to get us through these uh, <laughs> these last few, few hours. But no, I feel good. Like I said, I, I nipped off the shop before and because uh, mm-hmm. I was feeling a little bit tired, I left the front door open and the cat followed me all the way to the, the corner shop and actually followed me into the shop as well. So that was good. Almost lost the cat. But uh, other than that, <laughs> I've, uh, I'm holding things together pretty well. So, yeah. Gonna keep, well, keep you guys going. sound remarkable for eight hours deep. I didn't know what I would be getting into coming <laughs> on uh, into the latter stages of the 12-hour marathon. But you guys sound uh, very coherent. Uh, very uh, all thoughts are coming out very uh, in step with one another. So I, th- I think we're doing pretty well at uh, uh, the eighth hour here of the of the marathon. But uh, God knows what the final four will be like. So that's what we are all here at the edge of our seats to be a party to. That's oh, why you're here to carry us, John. Yeah, <laughs> our, um, yeah, the real pity party, me and mine and Benno's audio breakdown. But um, uh, John, just before we get into questions for you, did you have a chance to uh, listen to uh, James and Waiting earlier? Uh, I I caught the very beginning of it, but I was actually not home. So I did not get to hear any of uh, James Ting's stories about Young Way. Oh, that was brilliant, yeah, because Way was like, okay, I'll see you later, and he's like, no, 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 what embarrassing stories of Way as a child, so um, I'll try and upload <laughs> it at some point so you can hear it back, but uh, very funny. Oh, very you have saved you have saved it, because I, yeah. I would love to hear it if you uh, do have uh, the stories. It's uh, Way, Way is an interesting, uh, he's an interesting individual, like there's so much, there's definitely a origin story there to be made about Wei Ting that that even I would love to discover uh, more about. And I've got to meet James on several occasions, including mm-hmm. uh, Martin when we were in Japan. So I guess, yeah, you would have, mm-hmm. you, you guys came and met us that, that night we were at that bar where we were all crammed into this place mm-hmm. that seriously had to have the capacity limit of 10 and we fit like 12 <laughs> people into. I, I uh, pre-COVID, I'm sure it was all right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, back when people would like squish into bars together and drink and be breathing on one another, it was a it was a glorious time in January of 2020 as uh, the coronavirus was just uh, peeking through the the world's consciousness. Well, I, I wonder if that even stripper bars is going to exist anymore, like post pandemic, because it was like say there's literally about sort of 50 bars on that one strip and they all fit about five people in. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they actually, uh, you know, fit um, if they continue. On with business. But anyway, on with business now. And um, obviously, John, um, you know, you've allowed 
um, maybe against your better judgment, for me and Benno to be part of your wonderful network now for, um, you know, a number of years, obviously really appreciate that. And um, I just wanted to talk like, um, you know, obviously post beginning it now um, to now, um, what's some of the biggest learning curves you've had? Because obviously, you know, you've been a pro wrestling journalist for a number of years, but obviously I'm assuming, you know, you weren't making all the big decisions and stuff when you were at the Fight Network, etc. But now it's all on you and way. So what have been some of the sort of like the biggest learning curves since you've started your post-wrestling adventure? I think it would really come down to a lot of sort of like the overarching like business aspects of it, which was much more, I think, heavily concentrated at the launch. I mean, that was where, I mean, go, going back to the Fight Network, I mean, one, one thing that was a real plus there was that we were given a pretty, pretty wide leniency when it came to just autonomy. Like they realized like we kind of ran the law stuff and we're kind of just left to that. It wasn't like we reported to anybody. It was, you know, we had like our different producers, but that was really on the television side. When it came to the podcast and website, I mean, we were pretty much running that area on a day-to-day basis. Now, it's a lot different when you have a big company behind you, when you run into different obstacles or whatever. It's nice to have that um, that kind of structure uh, in, in place. So from day one with like the planning stages of post-wrestling, it was just getting involved in a lot of stuff that like really was new and foreign to us, just in the sense of a lot of basic stuff. Um, trademarking, uh, the, like incorporating uh, the business side of things, finding like an accountant that we had to rely upon. It's like all these little tedious steps that we were learning along the way um, a- as we're going. And it was a pretty, it was a pretty rapid development those, those first couple of months. So that was, I would say like a pretty steep learning curve of just presenting all of the, all of the shows, all of the news content, all of the, you know, what, makes up the site but then it is kind of all the the back end stuff of not just a website but also a business that i think the two of us had different degrees of kind of like an interest in learning different things but at the same time some of it could be very much very tedious and time consuming on top of it yeah because i imagine obviously setting up a business for yourself and you know obviously it's different country to country but over here you've got to decide what company you are whether you're a limited liability company and all that and there's a lot of jargon and stuff did you have to do any sort of like business courses or is it just something you and way were picking up as you uh, went along so i imagine there were loads of stuff where you were like wow i didn't realize i had to do that as part of like setting up a business yeah i mean definitely no business courses i mean it was a lot of just you know one thing we were very lucky upon was that we were able to draw upon like a lot of different people in fields that were able to give us a lot of helpful advice i mean that's one thing where you just never know when you might run into someone that'll be of of assistance to you way had just a random run-in with a listener at a coffee shop that happened to be an entertainment lawyer that just offered, hey, if you have any questions, feel free to hit me up. It's like that kind of stuff is very invaluable because you never know when you'll have those questions. And if it's, mm. it, it it helps a lot that you guys might be able to uh, acknowledge as well is that when you have listeners that are in different areas and positions, you don't have to explain your business to them. They're already that far ahead of it. Whereas, you know, for, for a lot of our stuff, like when we're dealing with accounting procedures, it's a very unique business that we're talking about here. It's 
like we had to explain Patreon to a lot of these p- people that we were w- working on because, you know, 2017, it doesn't sound all that long ago, but Patreon was still kind of in its infancy. And I think it's just rapidly developed over the last number of years where it's not only like a very helpful service for artists, businesses, but it's also for listeners, fan bases. It's a comfortable forum that they're familiar with that like that's a huge part of it is having a comfort level of something you're going to subscribe to because that is inevitably going to be a hurdle but you know in in 2017 i can't tell you how many calls we had where we had to explain just what patreon is and that comes with you know just taxes on top of it like where are all these subscribers coming from you're talking about all over the world so like that kind of stuff was you know the, the deep end of the pool that we had to navigate. I kind of remember, like, put my brain back to that, like that 2017 period where, you know, as with most things, I think wrestling can be a little bit behind the times. And a lot of the non-wrestling podcasts I listen to were using, using the likes of Patreon. And I think the only wrestling content I knew that was on there was like OSW Review. And yep. I think Mafia they were the only one I was on there. Yeah, yeah. OSW, like they were, to me... um seeing their success was what mm. gave me the confidence that we should try this out because it was, you know, it's, you're either looking at that model or you're looking at one that's heavily reliant upon advertising. And I just thought that was a field I did not want to be navigating on a month to month basis where your advertising could be here one month. It could be completely different the next month. I thought it was much more difficult. It's like, I do not have a history in going out and selling ads. So finding the Patreon model. And Jay Hunter, um, for those unfamiliar uh, with OSW, was just so generous with his time of just really encouraging us to go this route and, you know, things that he had learned along the way, what worked, what didn't work. And it was like, we put great thought uh, before we, and and I know like uh, Benno, you guys uh, at Grapple, I know put Mm -hmm. a ton of thought into yours as well. I can't encourage that enough of just, don't just throw things out there. You only get that chance to make that first impression once and you really want to have it thought out. And it's, it is, there is some trial and error to it too. And you, cause you do not know what the response is going to be. Mm, that's it. Yeah. And I think I, I heard you and, you know, way talk on the, uh, the, 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 just talk podcast you, you did not long ago talk about, you know, being on that content treadmill that, uh, I think is a, is an easy thing to fall into, you know, when you promise a Patreon, I think promising, you know, what you can't deliver or, or delivering things just because you've promised them rather because they are the, the right thing to do. Those kind of like lessons, I think you, you probably, and again, I'm, I'm new to the Patreon game, but I think we've right. learned a little bit in the, in these early days as well. But no, I think, I mean, for you guys, I think, it felt to me, and obviously after the law stuff, when when you guys said you were launching Patreon, immediately I was like, yeah, that's going to work. Like, people are going to support these guys. And it was great to see, you know, that people did and that people, you know, have continued to support you guys. And I, I do genuinely think you guys being, you know, high profile and, and moving over to Patreon, I think influenced a lot of people to move into that space. And it's it has created like a, an environment where people like us at Grapple can, can join on there and wrestling fans know what it is. And it's, you know, back back in the day, I think models like Patreon and Kickstarter and the like, it almost, I think there was a, a misconception that like uh, outlets were, were begging for your money or, you know, had to justify, you know, what they were doing. And I, I do think uh, you and Way have got a long way to legitimize it, I think, I think in in wrestling fans' minds and yeah, making it a, an avenue possible for, for other podcasters like us, definitely. And well, I think I as just... well as, as, sorry, John, as well as influencing, no, go ahead. Uh, as well as influencing Benno, 
I think you've influenced other people as well, as much as like you know you might have sort of like looked at what OSW Review was doing because um, you know uh, it might be a conspiracy, but you know you did that interview with uh, Conrad Thompson, and um, all of a sudden mm. you know something um, something to wrestler setting up there on Patreon. I mean, was he asking <laughs> you much about it when you met him? Um, no, but I did have a, a, a separate uh, conversation with Conrad. It was we, we did an interview with him over. I think it was the WrestleMania in New Orleans, and yeah. I, I want to say it was somewhere around that time that he just called me up and just asked me a bunch of questions about Patreon. So I just, you know, I'm all about, you know, paying it forward, you know, like a Jay Hunter did for me that anyone that has questions, like I'm more than willing to uh, sit down and chat with people and give them my experiences, why this worked, or at least my, my thoughts on what works, what doesn't work. It's largely like you are taking... I think ultimately what it's going to come down to is like chemistry is a big thing and it's going to be the support your audience has that they want your outlet to exist and to create. I don't think it's something where at the end of every month someone is looking at, okay, how many extra shows did I get here? And like crunching a calculator of what your value is. I think a lot more of it is goodwill than people, myself included, thought would be the case. Uh, mm -hmm. Remember, we're coming into like the post wrestling era was the first time we had ever gone out and said, you know, to ask people to support us in that way, because the law that was always, everything was, was free content. It was not something that the fight network opted to monetize in any kind of way, but at the same time, it's okay. These, these audiences have listened to us regularly, but have never had to, uh, pay for uh, pay for any of our content. So would would that work or not? And that was a big reason of having that balance. We wanted to provide enough free content that we're not just isolating people to the Patreon stuff and have that balance. Because at the end of the day, we are trying to make this work as a business. At the same time, like we're, I would much rather have a free show go out every week. That's kind of our here's an advertisement for new listeners to stumble upon us and, and find us. So that mm. has kind of been the thinking. Is it, is it sort of like um, you're finding that, you know, like you said, with all the access you used to get with um, the Fight Network and stuff like that, are you having to go out and sell yourself to people in terms of sort of like, you know, maybe getting press access to WrestleMania and things like that? Uh, has that changed? Is that the question? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's... It's been interesting to see, like, certainly uh, when it's come to WWE access, I mean, I I covered WrestleMania in 2018 and 2019, and my, my media outlet was post-wrestling, so I didn't have any issue there. Um, honestly, uh, like, I have not aggressively gone after interviews in the same way I was doing where we had to do the law every week, and it was finding a guest for that show. I've kind of taken... And, and I kind of bat this around of like, what is the optimal amount of interviews we want to do and what type of interviews we want to do? I just like I, I'm at a point where I'm I want to have the people on that are going to be the most interesting conversations. And it's also fitting it into a schedule that it's like that is definitely a balancing act. It's not just getting the 30 minutes with someone, but it's also just. You know, as, as you guys know, like locking down people for times and, and mm. doing that, that sort of thing. And honestly, understanding that there's a large part of our audience that Wei and I are 
a lot of people enjoy listening to the show where it's way and I. So I'm cognizant of that too. But in terms of access, like thus far, I, I've not seen much of a difference when it's come to uh, WWE. Uh, UFC, like it's, I tried to get press access to a fight night card. So this, this is a fight night level. This is not even a pay-per-view uh, that mm -hmm. was here in Canada a number of years back. And it was just a realization that our outlet is not at, the size that they're going to credential me. So in that way, it definitely changed. Um, but that's also not any anything that I view as a giant detriment. Like I know the lion's share of our coverage is going to be pro wrestling and I don't foresee having any difficulty access wise being at an mm. independent outlet versus a larger one. On the MMA front, and th this would also go for, for pro wrestling, like I find covering it, there are, giant advantages to being on site in person of different access you can get. But for the purposes of a review show or something like that, I greatly prefer just being able to watch it at home. I can listen to the commentary. I can do a better review of the show that way, but there's trade-offs definitely between being in person or not. And, you know, because of this pandemic, that hasn't been something I've had to address, but now it certainly will be as we start to kind of look at the idea of traveling again, which is something I want to do in the next couple of months. But we'll have to see what what events warrant that and, and what we're going to do. I was going to ask that. I mean, you know, you and Way, obviously, you know, the, a big feature of post was you guys, you know, in the studio together and, you know, recording together. Do you, do you see yourself going back to that as is the way the, the way things are now is this the uh, the new normal and remotely is the is the way forward like cause i know you guys like the rest of us had to to change a lot in the in the way you worked uh, during this last 18 months but i'm sure there's a, there's plenty of benefits there as well as a, a couple of negatives to that yeah i i think like for whatever like logistically it, it does give us a bit of ease when it's you know sitting through three hours of raw and i mean for the first year during mm. post wrestling I would be, first of all, it's, it's me, my wife and our, uh, one-year-old child in a condo. And it was like very tight quarters. And I, I do not know how we went this year where I would watch raw and then I would get in my car at 1115 at night and drive 45 minutes to Way's house where we would record the raw review. And then I would drive another 45 minutes back home at one thirty-two in the morning and got a uh, very, uh, I, I got to meet all of the regulars at the local Tim Hortons at Way's place that uh, it was like this 24 hour coffee shop anyway. But over time, we eventually migrated and we're, we're doing a lot of our like review shows on whether it be Skype or Zoom anyway. Um, I, I do want to do more stuff in person, though. I think now we will certainly be doing that for certain shows where it makes sense. I mean, me and Way do not live as far apart as 45 minutes away as uh, we did a number of years ago. So I, I certainly want to do more live stuff. I will always prefer to do shows in person. I just find it adds um, something to the conversation rather than having this mm. uh, technological barrier. But it's it's certainly something that we'll get back to. Like, I would love to do. Now here in Toronto, like like Way is here, obviously. Brandon Davy live here. WH is now uh, he's now back living in Toronto. Mike Murray's here in Toronto. It's like we have this core uh, group that is all within driving distance of one another. So I, I would love to do something where we we all get together or have some stuff in person. Uh, I'd love to do that stuff. Oh yeah, me and Ben are definitely definitely <laughs> want to uh, want to head over to Toronto. Obviously, I went and me and Lisa had a brilliant time and. Um, 
Yeah, Benno, you've got to check out John's setup in his house. It's like, um, you know, down in the basement, and, you know, they've got this brilliant <laughs> recording studio. And that's right, that's TV right. You came the, here to do the yeah. uh, the cafe hangout. I remember that. Man, that the was... first uh, ever one. You were on episode one? I think so, yes. Damn, of the, uh, you, of the you one where you were having guests on. Well, now, there you go. I'll go down yeah, in the See, see that was the show we were very adamant about me and Wei doing in person, and that was one that did get shelved during the pandemic. But we will uh, mm. we will revisit the uh, the future of the Cafe Hangout because that was – the idea of that show was to be able to be kind of our show that has a purpose for a guest, which I kind of like having like a show that there can be a segment where a guest contributes to a topic or, or such and was a great place to have like yourself and Benno on as well. Mm. Benno, you are our guest – like as soon as the pandemic hit, you and uh, yeah. Alex Patel were on back to back when I don't the think any of us realized expert. what we were in for the next year and a half of our lives. Oh, yeah, Paul yeah, Benno had to be the COVID expert for Europe, didn't he? <laughs> Benno Alex was Patel. coming on to just chat about being at uh, 16 Carat, right? You had just been there oh, the previous yeah. weekend. So I had Benno come on, like not to chat about anything COVID related. It was to just chat about the being there at the event. And this is Thursday. So the night before is the whole Rudy Gobert positive and like the last live dynamite in front of fans uh with the pandemic so thursday it's for many people that is um for that's like day one of the pandemic where the whole world understands that okay this is a very big deal and we're kind of just reacting in real time to this oh yeah that was it that was when it became absolutely real uh was that day yeah, where we were we were talking about it but no i, I do love that the, the hangouts as a concept be honest with you john we basically stole the entire concept for what we call the grappy hour on our patreon so thanks for that um but yeah i think <laughs> having that you know that calling element i think is you know i always think like you know you wouldn't want reviewer you know a rewind the roar or around the smackdown to kind of break for for calls like i think like you said people listen for you in a way and you're back and forth but i think there's always a, a place for that and that type of show so yeah i was always happy to come on to it and uh, i'll be glad to uh, to see that come back yeah definitely definitely want that to come back yeah it was always good the amount of guests you had on and everyone looking through your book collection as well that was um, <laughs> always quite amusing um but obviously you mentioned interviews earlier and you've interviewed everybody from lennox lewis to uh you know everybody in between um what, what are some of your uh favorite interviews that you have done Man, I, I'm amazed that you just pulled out the Lennox Lewis one. I, I will share a story with the Lennox Lewis one because that was one of the most stressful interviews to try and get. So this is this is 2000, this is June of 2009, and the Fight Network is sending me to Canastota, New York, the site of the International Boxing Hall of Fame induction weekend where Lennox Lewis is the big inductee. And somebody at the Fight Network had a link through a friend of Lennox Lewis's that said, if you guys come down, you can have a full sit down interview with Lennox Lewis. And that justified them earmarking this trip and sending me. And it was not Way who went on this trip with me. Um, it was another camera operator. So it's two of us that are sent down uh, to New York for this weekend. And we are there for the sole reason of doing an interview with Lennox Lewis. And <laughs> we meet up with this guy who's, you know, my buddy's Lennox Lewis. And we're just getting the constant push off. Like, it's mm. just like, hey, can we just land? Like, I, I just want to do this interview. And then from there, it's like, it's smooth sailing. We'll grab some more interviews and stuff. But the the big 
reason for this trip is at least out of the way. And we're just getting the constant ring around. And I know what this means. I always know this is hardly the lock that we assumed this was going to be when we came all the way down here. And so the this guy brings us to his hotel room and he's totally just killing time with us. He's like just hanging out in his hotel room. And then Lennox Lewis happens to walk into the hotel room and he's pretty much just sees me. And I said, oh, we're scheduled to do the interview with you. And he's just got this look on his face. The last thing on his priority list is doing this interview with me. <laughs> and he's stating he's got to go have a shower or something. Like he's just putting out all these obstacles. I, I don't know what I was able to do. I got him to sit down and I said, this interview is only going to be three minutes. And he's like, three minutes? like, yes, three minutes. I was like, all my task was get a microphone on this man and get him seated. I stretched and stretched this interview out, but I got it done. But it was an absolute pain to try and do this interview with with Lennox Lewis that uh, <laughs> I have not thought about much until you have brought that name up. But my God, it was like a day and a half of just I cannot go back without this interview. It was the only reason I was sent down here. And I just had to completely plead with Lennox Lewis to sit down and do this interview with me. Um, I've got a request from Brandon from New Jersey who sent me four messages now saying, do you actually do a, <laughs> a Lennox I'm Lewis sorry. impersonation? No, I don't have a Lennox Lewis impersonation. I, I Not didn't think you would. <laughs> That's brilliant. I, th you I think you told me that story uh, when prior to going over to your house or in that Italian restaurant and it was like they had a bunch of uh, boxing memorabilia about and I think that must have uh, triggered your memory. So with uh, with best... And most memorable, we've got to come to uh, to, to worst, John. Who are some of the uh, worst personalities that you can tell us about who you've interviewed? Oh, the worst. Um, like, I mean, there's there's been some that, I mean, especially during fight weeks where I really sympathize with a lot of fighters mm. that it is a grind. They are cutting weight and then they have, have all these media obligations on top of it. Like, George St. Pierre was notoriously awful during fight week. I mean... To be interviewing a robot would be giving George St. Pierre too much credit during these fight weeks. I mean, there was just nothing that was coming out. And I totally understand yeah. it. The idea that he is being asked questions that are just he is answering for the 50th time and he has got his pat answer down. You have to be more creative with your line of questioning. And I would always like it would honestly annoy me when fighters during fight week would get the, uh, well, what's next question. We're not even at this fight on Saturday yet. These guys have spent 10 weeks fixated on this fight on Saturday. Like you're climbing this mountain and before you're even climbing it and succeeding, you're being asked, well, what's the next highest mountain you're going to be climbing? I just, I always thought that was a question that was just like a disconnect between what is happening and just a just default question. So, but I'll tell you this about George was, if you remember right after the Johnny Hendricks fight in 2013, he announces he's taken that that break. He doesn't outright mm. retire, but he's taken the hiatus. And I got to interview him about a week after that. And guys, I walked in the smile on this guy's face. It was like the weight of the world <laughs> was off his shoulders. Like when you think about it, he desperately needed a break from mixed martial arts and constantly having to prepare for the second best welterweight in the world as champion. And I, he was open. He was, you've seen like his interviews. He will talk about many subjects. He's mm. like a very insightful guy, but 
like you got so little of that during his his prime fight career when he was welterweight champion. And it was just like this enormous weight off his shoulders when he did not have that obligation uh, where MMA, I think, was very much it was a passion, but it had also become this job for him that was like running in a wheel that was just never going to end. Um, I'm trying to think of like other interviews. I mean, there's some like in the pro wrestling side, you don't run into them as much anymore. The ones where they would just adamantly stay in character. And those were always uh, ones hey. that were like, I understand. And I, I think that there's kind of now this, this shift where some characters can get away with it now for an MJF or an orange Cassidy, they've made it work for them. Um, it, and I'll, I'll tell you one for, isn't it? That's the thing. Like sometimes you listen, it's like, okay, you work in me, but like I, I'm getting no material out of this interview. Right. Like, nobody outside is getting anything out of this interview. Like who benefits from this? Like I, oh, it's a real pet peeve of mine. That like it happens when we go to like the WXW weekends in Germany, we get some, some great quotes and great interviews in the press conferences. And then you get the odd guy that just stay in character to build his match. And I was like, you're wasting your time and mine, man. Like, let's let's just move on. It, it's almost like, like you're you're taking the, like you're just continuing the show at at that mm. point. And I don't know if you're necessarily going to be reaching like if you're a major outlet, it's not going to really grab your attention. Maybe it will though. Like an Orange Cassidy, like it's this unique character yeah, sure. that I, I think I think it, it's certainly a case by case basis. There was one I did years ago, where I was on like a, um just a list of media that they had assigned Cody Rhodes to do, you know, just do the gauntlet of phoners. You line up like six or seven media outlets and they all get their 10 minutes. And so I'm going into this interview, assuming I'm interviewing Cody Rhodes and I get like called in and dude, it is full on stardust. And <laughs> so I'm basically going into this and I was like, I can either just not do this interview or it can just be really awkward and instead, I just tried to make it as I got all my questions across, but did it in such a way that I think he appreciated it. And I got like Stardust to talk about Dusty. I got Stardust to talk about all these other things. But it was like I kind of had to play along for this. And it was right. at the end of it, I was like happy at least that I got a really good interview out of this that was different. And it's a kind of interview like you're not going to compare to like any other sports reporter is ever going to have to make this on the fly decision when they're interviewing the third baseman for the New York Yankees. But it's kind of this weird place you're at in, in pro wrestling where, where you get that. So, you know, for the, like, I, I'm not a big fan of like the interviews where it's still in character, but I mean, it's pretty slim that that is something you run into nowadays. I think a lot of people understand the, you know, the, the benefits of, mm. you know, speaking openly and i honestly i would encourage a lot of younger wrestlers that aren't getting the biggest media exposure that if a small podcast reaches out to you they might have 10 listeners instead of looking at the listener count maybe look at it that hey i'm gonna go on this podcast and it's like me going to a comedy club and testing out my material in front of five people and being comfortable being interviewed there is a skill set to that and i would Definitely encourage like younger wrestlers do all the podcasts while you're wrestling in front of small people and get comfortable being a public figure and being asked questions and responding in a succinct way, thoughtful answers. There is a benefit to that. And you're not going on an ESPN and sounding tongue tied. You're 
you know, just treat it like this is a development process and doing media at a small level. And that, you know, some of these, these, these podcasters that are just trying to get started themselves in their careers are reaching out and have an interest in you. That's um, that's actually a really, really good point, uh, John. Because obviously you do feel sorry for like indie wrestlers because there's so many podcasts, you know, there's, and they're probably inundated with interview requests and, you know, I'm sure a lot of them get sick of the same questions and stuff. But like you said, it's a really good time to sort of like practice because if you do make it to WWE or whatever, they aren't going to ask you if you want to do it. They're going to go, you're doing ESPN or whatever tomorrow. And those are the guys that are stand out. Like there is, there's a reason like a Miz is so good in that role that if this guy is given, Hey, you've got a two hour block and you're doing 10 interviews back to back. Um, there is a skill set to that by being able to keep that energy up for interview one versus interview number 15 during the Mm. day. And to make sure that, you know, that you are that dependable person and you can develop those skills. Like I get it once, when you're on the independent level, there will come a time when you do not want to be doing all the interviews that come your way. I get that, but be selective. I think it does benefit you to at least get that experience and don't look at it as the be all end all being how many people are going to listen to this. There's, uh, I think, a value for both sides, both the interviewer and the interviewee. Yeah, definitely. I was going to say, John, I mean, obviously we've got our own Andrew Thompson, who's doing great work out there as uh, as far as interviews go. And like, I'm uh, just going to ask, you know, who's who kind of, you know, are you paying attention to at the moment doing doing good work like that? You know, I'm related question, you know, what are you listening to? What podcast are you listening to? What, what, what's like your uh, what, what kind of what's your media consumption like in a in a, in a regular week? Basically, you're uh, listening to Grapple, John. I, I, do <laughs> I, listen to, I do listen to Grapple. Uh, I do have that you, one. John. Uh, I I listen to like a, a, a probably more MMA stuff than I do pro wrestling stuff. It's I and that's and it's like a conscious decision on the pro wrestling side that I don't want to hear too, too many opinions on things. I just kind of especially if I have not reviewed something yet. It's mm. like in many cases, you know, it's watching the show and immediately recording after. So it's, it's not that uh, delay, but if something happens where say there's a perfect example is we have the Slammiversary pay-per-view tonight. If I'm going to talk about that on Monday, I, I kind of try and just uh, distance myself from like di- different thoughts and opinions and just want to have kind of my, my viewpoint, you know, unwavered and can just chat about it and see if it, you know, corresponds or not with others. But when, when it comes to people that are out there, I, I have a great respect for for any of the people out there that you can see have that that drive that that hustle. It's you know when you're in this space, it takes a lot of work to be if you want to have you know regular regular interviews lined up. I mean that that's a chore to be doing uh, every week. Like you look at someone like a Chris Van Vliet at what he's been able to build. And anyone that can kind of navigate the space just to find uh, kind of their their own niche, that's kind of w- what the game is. Like there's so much pro wrestling content out there. What are you going to do to kind of uh, break through and kind of create something that is unique to yourself? Um, you know, I'll, I'll listen to some of the Observer podcasts uh, I listen to. Uh, I, I listen to a great deal of our own stuff. Like I always want to be up on kind of what everyone's show is doing. So I spend a lot of time with that. And then it's it's kind of just just cherry picking, like being when 
it's myself or Andrew on like the news updates. Like there's no way I'm listening to as many wrestling podcasts as Andrew Thompson is that I just, <laughs> I don't know if this man sleeps with uh, the amount of wrestling podcast. I don't know if there's an update he produces where I don't learn of another wrestling podcast that is out there that he has discovered, found the guest and transcribed a page of answers from. I mean, it's remarkable what he finds. Oh, definitely. One thing I did want to bring up, and I know you and Wade did a deep dive on it recently, but um, am I right in saying by the time WrestleMania 18 came to Toronto, you were already working as a, as a wrestling journalist? No. Um, so the law was where I like started uh, working with, and that would have been around... I mean, I had known the guys doing the the radio show for several years, going back to around 99, 2000. Mm. But I didn't actually start contributing anything to the website until I want to say 2003. I had started writing some stuff. And then it was around the middle of 2003, probably the summer, where Jeff Merrick, who was the co-host of the show, he was starting to do a lot more hockey coverage for the radio station that the law was on and kind of transitioning out of his wrestling role into like, he has become like a major hockey analyst here in Canada. So Mm. at that time I got the daily news updates at the time. That's how far these daily news updates have been going back. And at the same time, the law needed a new call screener. And that's when I got to become the call screener. So it would have been, um, right as I was starting university in 2003, that I was uh, consistently working with the law and doing it completely for free, uh, coming in on Sunday nights to work until 1.30, 2 in the morning, uh, uploading shows. Like it really was not until almost, uh, it was like spring of 2005. That was the first time I saw a paycheck attached to this this job. Yeah, because I suppose my question was, um, you know, obviously WrestleMania 18 was one of the, you know, big, big events to happen in Toronto, but obviously you've had a number of them and especially UFCs and things like that. And I was wondering, obviously, you know, when you were with the law and then now subsequently with Post, because it's happening in your hometown, is that sort of like, you know, more pressure to cover it properly for you, do you think? Oh, right. Um, I, I wouldn't say extra pressure. I mean, we had the recent example of SummerSlam being here in 2019, and that was where they did the four straight nights. And, um, you know, for that one, it was like I didn't feel a uh, great interest in like having to necessarily be there. Like it's a very different situation covering a UFC on site versus a WWE event on site. I mean, for me to be credentialed to go to SummerSlam, that pretty much gives you a seat um, in the arena. So it's, I couldn't really do any website coverage uh, unless I got my laptop in my lap. Uh, It's not a great place to be covering it. Whereas a UFC event, you know, you're set up there. They're going to be bringing you, you, all the winners are brought to the back. You get to do scrums with them. Like there's a real advantage coverage wise to being there and credentialed. And with a SummerSlam, like I didn't really see the need to have to be there. So I, I went to the takeover on the Saturday and then like SummerSlam, Raw and SmackDown were all in the subsequent nights and just covered those like usual uh, from home. But they also had like all the small indies around here. Um, so 
it was it was the first time Toronto like got a like a mini taste of mm. like what a WrestleMania weekend is like. Obviously, a much smaller example of that. But you know, you had all these shows running around, and honestly, like I don't think SummerSlam weekend was kind of the traveling weekend to the anywhere near a WrestleMania that all these wrestling shows could be successful uh, over that couple day stretch. So y- you got to see that. Like I went to a fair amount of non WWE shows uh, as well that week, uh, just getting to see all of that. But you know, it's, it's kind of just cool when you have one of those in town where number one, you don't have to travel anywhere. That's mm. a plus. Uh, we were able to do a live show that weekend. That was a, a lot of fun and something I'd, certainly like to get back to. I think that has become my favorite part of going to any of these weekends that we've done is being able to do a live show and and getting listeners to show up and you know we we get a show out of it. We get to meet a bunch of listeners. So those have become real really fun and I I'm hoping that we can do something like that uh for Mania next year if the world stays on track. Yeah, definitely. It's it's going to be so funny, isn't it? Do you feel like um, you know you've you've gotten so used in this pandemic era to sort of like covering shows at home that it's going to be a shock to the system when you've got to you know say you know say they have another big um, AEW event in um, in Chicago? Are you going to be likely to travel down to that, or would you be more likely to watch it at home? Uh, we kind of had this discussion. We're not we're not going to go to All Out Weekend, but yeah, it's it's definitely going to be. Like I, I have not gone to uh, in Toronto. Our we just entered stage three yesterday, so it's the first time that things are truly opening up. I can actually go to a movie theater now. But I'll, I'll tell you, and Benno, you will enjoy this. Is I got invited by a bunch of my friends to go see Fast Nine on Friday, and <laughs> I couldn't go anyway because we had the show and everything. But I'm also still kind of like, I, I don't know if I'm ready to go to a movie theater quite yet. Uh, it's probably very safe, uh, but it's just a different uh, situation for me. Like I, I have two young children that obviously uh, cannot be vaccinated yet. So I, I take that into account. If it was just me, uh, I, I'd probably be a bit more adventurous, but like I'm I'm not diving headfirst into just the idea that everything's done and we don't have to worry about this anymore. I think proceeding with caution is probably the, the best advice. And it would like going to all out uh, granted that's, you know, a month and a half away, but yeah, the idea of being inside uh, an arena with 10 to 11,000 people, it's sounds a little daunting to me as we speak on July 17th. I don't know if I would be um, jumping at that opportunity, but at the same time, I, I think, us as a society also kind of has to embrace that and not be completely um, scared to move forward. I think that 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 is kind of necessary to kind of rip the bandaid off, but everyone's going to be at kind of different stages, I think. Yeah, I think that, I think that's it. Balance is the, the important thing really. You can't help but look at like a a SmackDown like last, like last night and just think, God, those people are so close together. Um, But, you know, obviously in the UK, as Martin will attest to, we're we're opening up fully on Monday. So we're going to get a a lot more sites like that going forward. But yeah, I mean, on the, on the fast nine points, I I went to see it at a cinema and we, the rules over here, you know, at that point were were quite strict, and mm. I actually preferred it to be honest. Like, I I'm not a man who, who goes to the cinema and likes to uh, like to sit near people. So, oh, fact the fact that you know, if, if we seat. ever go to Fast Nine, Benno, there will be no problem if you if we if we want to sit multiple <laughs> seats apart, uh, and <laughs> WH can be uh, in the back row there. 
<laughs> oh, I'll be absolutely fine with that. But that—that that is one of the few benefits of, of the pandemic. That yeah, you know, people like us who are who are antisocial, it's kind of the norm, um, and you can kind of safely sit with a with a mask on. At a, I'll, I'll tell you my absolute worst experience at a movie theater. It, it took me a while to get into the mode of going to a movie by myself, and once I kind of just uh, got over that uh, idea, I quite enjoyed going to the movies on my own on like a day off or something. And there was one movie I went to. And these, this group, it's like two or three people come in and dude, the, this is like a 400 seat cinema. And there had to have been 40 of us in this theater, <laughs> dude, they sit in the seat right next to me. No, oh no buffer seat, nothing. I was, I was so angry because I also did not have it in me to like, just get up and move and mm. have, have that awkwardness of like get away from me but at the same time who does that who sees a, a sea of empty seats and i'm gonna go take the one next to that dude who's on his own sipping on his cola drove <laughs> me insane for the entire hour and a half movie i hated uh, it i've been I, on public transport when that's happened i've been on like a completely empty oh, bus or an yeah. empty uh, thing and it wasn't even cold so there wasn't even that excuse and i was like just you just sat. There's all these seats, and you just sat right next to me. Yeah, kind of. Who are these people? Who out. does this? It's, it's <laughs> the people who come next when you're in a, in a urinal as well. It's that same person who will go next yeah. to you rather than just give that that and extra one space. And starts to ask you where you're from. I've had that <laughs> yeah. before. They're, so they're where the you from, guys then, that mate? Come up to you and start a conversation as you clearly have headphones on, and I've yeah. got to mm. now make the effort to take the head. Like I'm so at the point in my life where I'm just gonna. Keep, I'm not taking my headphones out. You better scream louder than Green Day is blaring <laughs> into my ears right now if you want to have a conversation with me. Oh. The fact that like <laughs> in, it's currently socially acceptable to like walk around with I'll have a hat on, usually my post hat, headphones mm. on. And a mask on, it's like it's just a way of shutting <laughs> the entire world out. And I can I can go where I want and not have to be so off. Oh, they're the they're the things I'm gonna miss from this pandemic. There's not much, but that's one thing I'll Oh, miss. I'm keeping the mask, Ben. Oh, I, I think there's plenty of advantages to, to the mask beyond just health ones. I think that you know you don't have to necessarily like it's it's uh one extra barrier that mm -hmm. uh, a stranger has to encounter to uh communicate. I, I, I'm not as antisocial as I make it out to be, but there are some mm. people who it's like, man, like no, no, no clue at times. Yeah. It's like, um, it's so funny because obviously at the hospital, we have to wear sort of like, you know, hairnets and masks all the time and stuff. And pre-pandemic, there was a Christmas party. Didn't recognize anybody because I was like, I'm so used to seeing them, you know, can't see the face, can't see the hair or anything. So these people coming up to me and going, hey, Martin. I was like, oh, yeah, you're blah, blah, sort of thing. <laughs> I'd only been working there for like six months. And uh, obviously Lisa had gone with me and I was trying to introduce to people. And I was like, I've honestly, half of these people have no clue where they work because I never see their faces and, you know, and our little hairs down and stuff like that. But um, I suppose last couple of questions before we sort of like uh, let you get out of here, John. Uh, one thing that um, I've always wanted to be is my own boss. So, like, I know obviously you and Wei work very, very hard. So, what are the sort of like benefits of uh, not having sort of like the almighty sort of like um, fight network looking over your shoulder and, and just being your own boss and being to, uh, able to do your own thing now? Well, I mean, obvious. The obvious answer is that th there's you know a autonomy when we're, we're kind of the ones um, you know running the, the day to day stuff w with the site. Um, it's one good thing. I, th I think Wei and I uh, work off each other very well. If if we if either side is like 
really strong-willed about a certain idea, even if the other is maybe not as sold on it, it's kind of we give the other the benefit of the doubt that, okay, if if Wei feels strongly about this, let, let's try it. And that's that's proven to be a pretty successful formula. Again, going back to the Fight Network, like I, I really believe like I was given a great degree of freedom at that place to the point that like I realized if things ever went south here, I would have had a really tough transition to go to a work environment where I was working under someone, especially in like this field where I I don't want to sound like I'm the be all end all. You can always learn, you can always improve. And there's always people that are going to have further insight of things more more advanced than than yourself. However, like imagine going to like another network or something where somebody that has worked in traditional sports is going to tell me how this this works. This you guys know is a very unique industry and you only learn it by doing it day in, day out and you put in those hours of understanding, learning, studying and and being able to build an audience, that is something that it's mm. you can spend a lot of time. It's not a guarantee you'll be able to do that. So it it gives me like a sort of confidence that we know what we're doing. So not having any kind of that 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 level above us that is kind of, you know, trying to put in their own, you know, changes or input uh, just to put their stamp on things. That was an environment I would not have been able to transition to. Uh, so it was taking a lot of what worked at the fight network and just moving it onto ourselves. So I can't say like it's a drastic difference in that sense, other than, you know, when it comes to all the other stuff, like it's not just, Hey, you guys do all the, the content creation, the shows, the news stuff, and we'll handle all the business stuff. Like we're in charge of everything. So that is, that's the good and the bad that, that comes with this. Like, like myself and way we are, responsible for all of this stuff. Um, and that's, I think that's made us better, better reporters, better producers, whatever you want to label us as, you know, having that kind of ownership of things like you, you are going to be extra careful about everything you do because it is, it's not like, you know, we, we are essentially, you know, putting our names to this and we have so much, uh, behind this. So that, that comes with a, a different degree of responsibility than than we had prior. Um, you have a kind of an ownership of your work. This is kind of an ownership of a, an entire entity. So that has been uh, the biggest difference. But it's the environment that works, I think, mm. the best for the two of us. I don't think we would be able to have the success if, like, if Way and I were just, you know, different different viewpoints on so many different things and we were constantly butting heads that would be very difficult i think the two of us i mean that is the main thing is that we're able to work off each other very well and and that also comes with you know you can i, I could wake up tomorrow and i want to do a five-part documentary it's like there's nothing stopping me essentially from doing yeah. whatever comes into my mind and that can be a little daunting too it's like what is the best utilization of my time like what is the most valuable thing we can put into the site what is going to have the best response from people it's like the gamut's open like sometimes people operate the best when they're kind of in closed parameters and you're just trying to make the best out of the situation you're in like it's sometimes it's overwhelming when i i look at like should I be doing more interviews? Should I be doing this or mm. that? Should we be covering this more? Um, I, I would love to do uh, the Owen Hart 
audio documentary I did a few years mm -hmm. ago. Like I really want to do another one of those. And it's just finding the, the time for all of this. That's my biggest obstacle I'm having now is just time management, which is um, something I, I used to be much better at. And now <laughs> it's just there's so little free time and it's like, I'm just trying my best to utilize my time to, to, to the best. And, uh, hopefully I'm doing okay. Um, yeah, I was just, I was going to mention that Owen Hart documentary at the end, cause obviously that was an incredible piece and I'd say you should certainly be proud of that. And that must be sort of like, in my opinion, one of the best pieces that's been done, you know, for post wrestling, you know, since you and Wade started it. And you've just mentioned there you were thinking about, you know, maybe doing some more. Um, is there like a, you know, a handful of people or moments or, or, or what, are the, what are the things that you have been thinking about for possibly to do about that? Yeah. So I, I've definitely given them a lot of thought. Um, there's there's one I, I'm not going to share the, the subject and I'm just going to keep that to the best for now because it's I. I reached out to one person that was would be essential for this. It's it's not a figure like an Owen Hart that would be um, that everyone's going to know, but I think it's such a fascinating, fascinating individual that I think there's so little out on this person that I would really like to do. I've reached out to a family member of this person and unfortunately have not heard back, uh, but that is one that I, there's definitely an idea I have mm. kind of uh, percolating, but I, I've thought of a few. I, I have a few that are out there and it's really just committing. And as soon as I make, you know, conduct that first interview, it's like, I'm all in on that. And it's, it, it's kind of daunting because I don't think I realized what I was getting into with the Owen Hart thing until I was sitting down and had to put that whole thing together. Uh, that came together very quick. I think it was from the the very first interview I conducted to it being released was probably four to five weeks total uh, to to put that thing together. And it was uh, the editing process of that was was very difficult doing uh, solo. But it, it's something I would. It's definitely the thing I think I've gotten the most response from of anything we have done uh, at post wrestling, at least for myself. So I understand that there is. Uh, an interest in that that kind of storytelling. And I, I would certainly like to do more of those. Like if I could do one of those a year, I'd be really happy. Oh yeah, definitely. And I'm, I'm sure all the listeners um, would be happy as well. It was um, a cracking piece um, on, on Owen Hart, oh, wasn't it? Totally. Absolutely. Like, yeah, some of so, uh, just incredible work, to be honest. And if yeah, there's more stuff like that coming, I'll, uh, I'll definitely be happy. Um, I was going to throw throw in uh, one one last uh, non-wrestling question before we let you go John and <laughs> you know we mentioned we mentioned uh, Fast 9 before and you know I just want to know your thoughts you know are you, are you excited for, for Justice for Han and as a follow up question best fast movie and why is it Fast 5 Auto Kill Drift I'll accept <laughs> answer as well um, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm very I'm kind of conflicted like I'm very excited to see Fast 9 it's just I just don't know when and how I am going to see this. Like it's my option is now it's staring at me at the movie theater. That's kind of my mm -hmm. option to go see it now. And I will see it legally. Uh, I don't want people hitting me up with. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I do want to support the franchise. I, I want to make sure that the family. All, all, everyone involved with Fast 9 gets through this pandemic. OK, I want to <laughs> give them my uh, my hard earned money. Um, Fast Five is is phenomenal. Um, there was. I am trying I'm trying to remember the the specific one where it, it's the scene where the car is like going off like the bridge towards the water and it's just going in the slowest yeah. uh, like slow motion of the car that is going into the giant ocean 
and it was so slow. And I remember the theater I was in is just like bated breath watching this scene. And it was just, it got so long and I burst out laughing. And then the rest of the theater started laughing as well. Like this, it went from this like dramatic moment to this is utter ridiculous. And that to me was like a turning point of my mindset of this entire franchise was that one specific scene. But I mean, it's a franchise that I, I mean, a lot of it has been like, this has been the, well, every two years, me and my friends, we will get together and we just have the best time going to watch these movies. So I definitely Mm -hmm. had a bit of a, of uh, missing out on Friday night because all my friends went to see this uh, last night that I did not partake in. But uh, it, it is my my favorite fun franchise out there. And I will definitely be seeing Fast 9, maybe by myself. But if I do go to see it myself and you're listening to this, please don't come and sit in the seat right <laughs> next to me. At least give me one buffer seat. That's all I ask. Uh, hat on, mask on, John. No one will know who you are. Just There hide. you go. That's, the, that's yeah. the best way to do it. Go. I do but, love um, how those films have got sillier and sillier and oh. like you, you kind of feel like the cast's all in on the joke except Vin Diesel. He seems to be the only one still taking it seriously and all these yeah. family speeches and stuff. But um, yeah, John, <laughs> thank you so much. I know you've obviously got Slammiversary coming up and um, you know, really appreciate you taking you know, an hour out of your day because you've got tons on um, to come and speak with us today. Thank you very much. Some brilliant stories. Hey, this was uh, my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me to come on. This is a, a fantastic uh, initiative that both of you guys are doing. I give you all the credit in the world. My hat's off uh, to both of you. And uh, the best of luck during the the, uh, the the final stretch here as you guys go. You guys sound, you're, you're firing at a 10. Um, <laughs> you guys could... Uh, you guys could rev a Vin Diesel engine with the energy you got going. So uh, thank you very much for having me on. And uh, thanks for all you guys do as well for the site. I encourage everyone to check out the British Wrestling Experience, the Grapple Podcast. They are two must-listens in the wrestling podcast universe. And of course, all roads roads lead to postwrestling.com. John, thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Have a good one. See ya. See ya. That was brilliant. I mean, I really had sort of like a proper sit down uh, chat with, with John before, have we? That was uh, fantastic. Oh, that's the king right there. Um, that's the, uh, that's the, I know he, he won't like it, but that's, he is the, the watermark, I think, as far as wrestling podcasting and, uh, and even journalism goes in a lot of ways too. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm real. I'm mainly hopeful. Yeah. We get him in that cinema to see Fast 9 and, uh, you know, <laughs> I'll, I'll be bugging him to, uh, to record something with me and, uh, me and WH. That is, uh, that is cool.